Hello, I'm Paulette Lee, and you're listening to Woman Worthy, real talk about real issues for women over 60. If you're over 60, you're still worthy of being heard. I don't consider myself a Luddite, not really. Luddite being the term to describe a person who's reluctant to use new technology. Actually, today we call someone like that a technophobe. But the term Luddite gained traction from the early 19th century when bands of English workers destroyed machinery, especially in cotton and woolen mills, that they believed was threatening their jobs. I remember when I was working for NBC News in Los Angeles in the early 70s, cameramen, they were still mostly men then, and editors were balking at the idea of having to switch from film to videotape. Their unions were told, you get trained in the new technology or you lose your job. That new technology being, of course, videotape. It's my sense that the older we get, the more likely we are to become averse to using new technology. It's just harder to adapt. Well, obviously that's not true of everyone. I and most of my peers are certainly conversant with computers, smartphones, hey Google and Alexa, well, I better say that more quietly, and certain other technologies. But I do often turn to a younger person for instruction in the more nuanced or unfamiliar usages. And you'd think that post-COVID, when we all, I'm assuming here, were using Zoom and other online resources constantly, that we would be much more prone to go viral in all aspects of our lives. Well, apparently that's not so. In May of this year, Associated Press, uh, in collaboration with the Nork Center for Public Affairs Research at the University of Chicago, conducted a survey of 1,001 adults, I don't know why there's that additional person, who were supposedly representative of the American population. And fewer than 30% said they're very likely to participate in virtual activities, receive virtual health care, have groceries delivered, or use curbside pickup after the pandemic. That's fewer than a third. Some of these options, of course, offer convenience, but the poll found that the older the respondent, the less likely he or she would be to use technology because of broadband access and lack of digital literacy which is a fancy way of saying, knowing how to do it. Nevertheless, the future is coming, and here is what it looks like. Telemedicine is the fastest growing field in the healthcare sector. The Mayo Clinic calls it telehealth and defines it as the use of digital information and communication technologies to access healthcare services remotely and to manage your healthcare. The goals of telehealth, sometimes called e-health or m-health for mobile health are to make it easier for people to get health care to keep patients safe if they have an infectious disease or if someone else has an infectious disease improve communication and coordination of care among health care team members and the patient well most of us probably have providers who offer access to both services through a communications portal, a website or app by which we connect to our healthcare providers, both to conduct business with them and communicate with them about our issues. I know I have that. I use it, but I 
I'm not crazy about it. I just consider it a, a preferred um, alternative to having to wait on the telephone for nobody to answer. Some medical groups provide online on-demand urgent care for a fee, of course. Some offer virtual visits that let you see and talk to a healthcare provider from anywhere at any time, day or night. Now, I'm going to cynically add here that telemedicine or telehealth is also creating new profit centers in our capitalist-based American healthcare system. My cynicism notwithstanding, telehealth certainly has advantages. You don't have to go to the doctor's office. In many situations, you can receive remote care, either through virtual visits or by sending data and or photographs. Really, all you need is a device, a smartphone, a tablet, or computer, and internet access in a quiet private location. There are also web or phone-based services for primary or urgent care, and the provider, a, typically a doctor or a nurse practitioner, can prescribe medications and suggest home-based medical care or advice. These services are handy, but the treatment may not be coordinated with your regular provider, your medical history isn't known or necessarily considered, and the computer-driven model used to make decisions may not be right for you if you have a complex medical history. And it's also not easy for you to participate in decision-making with the provider. In addition to communicating with your healthcare providers via telehealth, I do have to wonder if eventually our grandkids are going to be communicating telepathically. Uh, so, uh, telehealth. There's also a trend toward DIY, <laughs> do-it-yourself, no, that's DIY, do-it-yourself medical technology, which involves web-based or mobile apps that allow you to both test yourself and upload those tests to your providers. There are devices that measure and wirelessly send data, such as blood pressure, blood sugar, cholesterol, and oxygen levels. There are wearable devices that automatically record and send data, such as heart rate, how you walk, your posture, tremors, physical activity, or your sleep patterns. There are devices for people with dementia that can find changes in daily activities, such as, as falls, and devices to remind you to do exercises or take medications. You can do your own first-line colon cancer test at home. There are women's health care test kits, including for postmenopause. And if you have migraines, there's an app for that too. It's called Migraine Buddy. Data sent to your primary care provider can also be sent electronically to specialists from whom an opinion can be sought either by email, through a virtual visit with you, the patient, or the old-fashioned way, live and in person. Many doctors, though, are wary about self-testing and monitoring, noting their information can be helpful but not always accurate. But trained medical personnel can understand and interpret symptoms and test results contextually, which typically we as the patient cannot. Despite fears that do-it-yourself do without expert guidance could miss important health problems, more physicians are recommending that patients take on at least some of the work because of the staff shortages and worker burnout as a result of COVID. 
and that means that patients often face long wait times for appointments and overloaded care providers. You can do your own research about what test kits are the best for and available to you. And of course, there are plenty of home health care testing kits on Amazon. Speaking of which, it will probably come as no surprise to you that Amazon has its own health care project. Amazon Care was initially created as a primary and urgent care alternative for employees in Seattle, and it has since expanded to Amazon employees in all 50 states. Plus, it has signed up several other companies. Amazon Care is not without controversy given its business model. The clinicians who treat Amazon Care patients work for a company called Care Medical, which is reportedly not an Amazon subsidiary, but it was originally founded in Washington State by an Amazon employee. Amazon acquired the prescription delivery company PillPack in 2018, relaunching it in 2020 as Amazon Pharmacy. And the latest offering is virtual mental health services through a partnership with on-demand therapy company Ginger. Yes, telepsychotherapy is indeed a thing, a big thing. In her article with research citations, Telepsychology, the New Normal, printed in the March 21st issue of the American Journal of Psychotherapy, Dr. Holly Swartz, MD, writes, quote, Passing the one-year anniversary of the onset of the COVID-19 pandemic, psychotherapy delivery has reached a new normal. COVID-19-related social distancing guidelines and public health exigencies make in-person interactions less feasible and less desirable, and therefore therapists have rapidly and extensively adopted telepsychotherapy to meet the needs of their patients. She continues, notably, almost no studies test the efficacy of video-based psychotherapy. Most studies of remote therapy focus on telephone therapy and typically show equivalence in the efficacy of psychotherapy delivered via telephone compared with in-person. Almost nothing is known about which patients are most likely and least likely to benefit from video-based psychotherapy. Thus, therapists rely primarily on uncontrolled reports and anecdotal experience to support their widespread adoption of technology-enabled therapy. The article continues, first-person reviews of telepsychotherapy are mixed. Some feel that something is lost in translation when therapeutic interactions move from the therapy room to video. Nuanced nonverbal communication clues, such as affect, gaze, and facial expression, provide important clues to therapists about patients' emotions, and it's much easier to see these cues when therapists meet with individuals face-to-face rather than over video. Technology-enabled alerts, such as email messages, text messages, may intrude on remote therapeutic encounters. Technology itself may limit the quality of therapeutic interactions. I continue to read from the article by Dr. Holly Swartz. 
for, for instance, um, video shots with only the tops of patients' heads in the frame, distorted audio connections, and dropped calls routinely threaten therapeutic processes. Some, th some therapists, especially non-digital natives, struggle with steep learning curves when adopting new technology platforms. Other therapists, especially those with young children at home during the, the pandemic, found it difficult to work from their home offices or dining room tables because of frequent interruptions and lack of privacy. Remote therapy may be impractical for patients who lack access to broadband internet connections or struggle to find a private space for sessions. By contrast, when both the patient and therapist enjoy good internet connections, up-to-date computer equipment and no privacy concerns, telepsychotherapy seems to work well. Many patients find it much easier to access care when it is delivered remotely, especially those with high caregiver burdens, lack of reliable transportation, and rural residency." Unquote. Now, as I mentioned, uh, or maybe I didn't mention, this article I believe, uh, well, I think it was written in March of uh, 2021 because it referred to passing the first year anniversary. But I recently referred an acquaintance of mine to a therapist whom I know, and the therapist said, oh, well, that's fine. It doesn't matter where she lives because uh, we do it on Zoom. So there you go. Older adults don't just have physical and psychological issues that can be addressed with technology. We're also experiencing what some label a pandemic of its own, a pandemic of loneliness. This is among seniors, exacerbated by COVID. And yes, there is a technology for that now too. It's not an app I'm talking about. It's a robot. L-E-Q, E-L-L-I, capital Q, is touted as the sidekick for healthier, happier aging. It's a robot developed by Intuition Robotics of Palo Alto, California. Now, I looked at its website and the staff look all look younger than 40, but their mission is to, quote, empower older adults to live happier, healthier, and independent lives at home with an empathetic digital companion, unquote. LEQ sits on a table looks sort of like a table lamp, and provides, quote, company and, quote, motivation to those who spend most of their day at home. Its website claims that, quote, no matter how much or how little experience you have with technology, LEQ, registered trademark, is simple and easy to use. Through voice command, on-screen instructions, and proactive suggestions, LEQ interacts with you in a way that feels natural, effortless, and personalized just for you." Unquote. LEQ costs about $250 plus a monthly subscription. Anecdotal endorsements, though, have been enough to persuade New York officials to buy 834 LEQs this year for seniors already identified by local agencies as needing some emotional support. Now, physically, LEQ is not designed to resemble a human, but other bots do. For example, there's Pepper, which costs about $20,000 plus insurance and software. Now, or NAO, N-A-O, from the same company that makes Pepper, has a smaller humanoid that retails for $30,000. 
just $7,000. Then there are robot pets that have a tactile response or light up or purr when you pet them. And those are particularly good for people with cognitive impairments because the interaction is, is pretty simple. There is only one robot that has been approved by the FDA as an insured cost for patients with depression, anxiety, and other conditions. PARO, P-A-R-O, is a baby robo-seal. It responds to its name, and if you pet it, it will coo and repeat the behavior that earned your affection. Licensed nursing homes can get these robo-seals for free. 28 nursing homes in Washington State started using them last year. Numerous studies are underway to determine the impact of these bots on the lives of seniors. And the research gate so far swings both ways. Some studies show technology as an antidote to loneliness is helpful. Others indicate it has a negative effect. Time will tell. But the consensus is that for us, the aging population, a balanced mix of interventions, both real and virtual, is the best strategy for living our best physical and emotional lives. I'll put the resources for this episode on the Woman Worthy Facebook page as usual. Thanks for listening. Have a great week. You have been listening to Woman Worthy, real talk about real issues for women over 60. Tune in wherever you receive your podcasts with new episodes every Monday morning. You can leave your comments by downloading the Podbean app to your device and on the Woman Worthy Facebook page. I'm Paulette Lee. I hope you found this program worthy of your time.